listening to Connection Church's podcast. Everybody doing good? Good, good, good. Um, that, that video actually does have a purpose. Um, the, and the point, the point of it is just like we can't ignore um, our mortgage statement or either our uh, bills that come in. We also, um, they have consequences when we ignore them. Uh, there's also consequences to ignoring the voice of God. And, and, uh, and we've been looking at some letters and we're going to continue this today um, that Jesus gave to the apostle John to give to seven churches. Um, and, and so as we're looking at those, the main thought we're wanting to come together with here is that uh, we need to listen to God's voice and do what he says. These are all letters that were written to seven churches in Asia. Um, but we also know that the number seven in the Bible is the number of completion. And what we see in this is, is the Bible is, is symbolically telling us that this is also for us. It's for every church, for every day. Um, and so we want to learn from what um, these, from these letters. We want to learn what Jesus taught them. We want to um, challenge ourselves to look at this and see if um, there's some area of our life that Jesus is speaking into. And so that's what we've been doing the last few weeks. Before we jump into it today, um, I want to mention a couple of things. First of all, if you're here and it's the first time here, we're, we're thankful, we're excited that you're here, that you chose to worship with us today. Hope you'll do that again. The second thing is that's something that we're excited about is our Vacation Bible School. And that's coming up. I want to make sure I get those dates right. That's June 14th six, at, from 6 o'clock to 8.30. So that evening, um, we'll, we'll do that one at night. The next ones are June 15th through the 18th. And that's from 9 to 12. So the others during that week are going to be during the day. So Sunday night we kick it off. The rest of the week we're meeting from 9 to 12. And that's for pre-K through the fifth grade. So if you have children, um, make sure you get them. That's going to be awesome. We're going to have a good time. Um, we also need people to volunteer to help and, and to minister to these kids. So if you can do that, that would be awesome as well. Um, you can sign up at the Next Steps table if you're willing to do that. And that's uh, something that you'd be able to do. All right. So here's, here's the thing. We're going to be looking at the church in Pergamum today, Pergamum. Everybody say Pergamum. Yeah, kind of fun to say. Um, and, and so we're going to be looking at this church today. And I want to read the text to you. Then we're going to jump in. Uh, remember, these letters were written to these churches uh, for a very uh, specific reason. And uh, when we read the first line of every one of these uh, letters, the thing that you'll see in there is that that first sentence tells us a lot about what um, the message of this letter is going to be. Jesus actually says the, uh, something to the effect of the problem he's dealing with as he begins each letter. So as we begin to read this, think about what he's writing about when we read the very first verse. It says, to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, these are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. Now, to let you understand, and maybe um, you know this, maybe you don't, the sharp double-edged sword means the word of God. Um, we see in Revelation 1, Jesus had the sword again coming out of his mouth. It's not that Jesus walks around with like this literal sword. It's symbolic of the word of God. Hebrews talks about the word of God being like a double-edged sword. And so I want you to see that. So he's talking right here about truth and he's talking about the word. And he says, I'm the one who has the truth. I'm the one who has the word. So what do you think this is going to be about? What do you think he's going to talk to the church of Pergamum about? 
the word, the truth, okay? The truth, he's trying to bring them to truth. He's trying to commend them and then challenge them and even rebuke them to, to, to stand in the truth, to know the truth, to hold to the truth. And so verse 13, he says, I know where you live. Can we just admit that's creepy, right? I know where you live, right? It makes me think about the movie Tommy Boy. Ever seen that? When the girl in the boat and she's like, you scumbags, I know where you live and I've seen where you sleep and I swear on everything holy that your mothers are gonna cry when they see what I've done to you. Anybody? I'm not the only heathen, right, 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 right. Yeah, and it's what it makes me think about. So I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. He keeps referring to this as Satan, um, where Satan has his throne, as Satan's um, city. Um, the reason for that is that this was a place that was full of idol worship. It's a place that was full of, of pagan gods. It was a place that was full of sexual immorality. It was a dark place. He's saying, I know the darkness of the city that you live in. Um, I know this, this, this place where it is. Some people have speculated that he was referring to the, the, the throne of Zeus that was there. Um, some people were, were speculating other gods and other things, but this is what we know, that it definitely refers to the fact that this was a very dark place. And so you need to understand where these people, this church was um, and where it existed. Verse 14, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You have people there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols and by committing sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give him some, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to him who receives it. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. We thank you that we can open your word, Jesus. Jesus, I pray that today would be like uh, no other morning, that it would be a morning where you come with this sword, you come with the word, you come with the truth, and you pierce our hearts, God. God, move us to a place of uh, repentance. Move us to a place where we turn to you, God. Draw us through your loving kindness back to you where we've strayed. And God, for those maybe who don't know you, uh, maybe God, who have played a game of religion but have never come into a relationship with you, may their eyes be open to the greatness that is you, um, the greatness of the work you did on the cross and the greatness of the life that you offer. And may they receive that today, God. God, uh, don't let this just be a time where uh, we go through the motions, but let this be a time where your word sinks deep into our hearts and it finds fertile soil so they can produce fruit. God, don't let this be a good message, but let it come with the power of the Holy Spirit that it would change hearts. And when we leave here today, God, my prayer is that your name would be on our lips, not the name of anyone else, but your name would be proclaimed. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. Amen. Well, I've talked to you many times about uh, exercise and things like that. And, and you know, I'm, I'm not very fond, if you've been around long, I'm not very fond of exercise, uh, but I do try to do that. And, and I've gotten away from it for a while. I'm trying to get back into it some, but been very, very busy. 
So I, I've tried to incorporate it into my day before I actually get my day going or before I used to get my day going. Um, so what I do now is I get up real early and I'll either go up and Dave's got this little kid weight set. I, I, I mean, I'm not that strong, sorry. But I, I go up and I'll try to work out with that a little bit or I go run. And, and so the problem with running though, we live out in the country, we live on a dirt road and it's dark when I go out there. So I thought I'll solve this problem and I'll get me one of those lights that goes on your head. You may see that you, you, some of you may have one of these. And so I said, I'll get me one of these lights that goes on my head. And so um, I did that. Susan picked one up for me. I got one of the lights. And so now I go running and I just put that little light on my head. And, and so if you go out 301 South, you're going towards Claxton and you see something and hear something that sounds like a freight train, it's me coming with my little light on my head, okay? And so just keep your eyes open. And here's a little... Um, just a little plea from me to you. If you see me, just go ahead and hit me, okay? Um, because it's, it's, it's pretty miserable um, running and doing all that stuff. And so, um, but I've, I've got that light. One day I was running, and as I was running, um, I started noticing as I was running that that light started getting dimmer and dimmer. And I began to feel like the Lord was speaking to my heart about that. And the first thing I noticed was that my eyes were beginning to adjust to the darkness around me. And I started realizing I could see better than when I first came out. And so I, mean, I, I noticed that I could, I could see things because my eyes adjusted. If you've ever gone to, well, you've all gone to bed, but when you go to bed and you turn the lights off in the bedroom, you can't see anything for a minute, but then your eyes adjust and you can begin to see some things, right? Um, and, and then, um, so my eyes began to adjust. The second thing I noticed was as the sun began to came, come up, the, the light got dimmer and dimmer. I couldn't see it as clearly. And I felt like God was really speaking to me about this. God will speak to us through everyday occurrences and everyday events if we just take the time to look and to listen. And, and as I was running and thinking about these things, I began to see how they apply to our spiritual life. And one of the ways that it applies is in, in darkness, um, when we're walking in spiritual darkness and we're walking in, in sin and, and these things are all around our lives, what ends up happening many times is we just become conditioned to it. Um, just like our eyes adjust to the darkness. Many times it's as if our heart just gets used to the sin around us. Um, the Bible puts it this way, that our hearts become um, calloused or that they become like they're seared with a hot iron. So we're no longer pricked by sin. It no longer bothers us. It's no longer anything in our conscience. You know how this works. You start out here um, and you say, I'll never cross that line. And then you cross that line. And you say, I'll never cross that line. And you keep crossing. Why? Because our hearts gradually grow callous to sin. It's almost, it is, it's like our eyes adjust to the darkness. The next thing is, is as that light became less apparent, it, it seemed to dim. It was because the sun was coming up. And I thought about how many times as Christians, we come into the light and, and we, we walk into the light of Christ and, and it shines very brightly for a while. Um, we see the gospel in all its beauty, but we become conditioned to the light so that it doesn't shine as brightly any longer. We begin to see it um, differently and we forget this. We forget where God um, brought us from and we forget what God's doing in our lives and all that we have to be grateful for. And many times as Christians even, we get to a place where we just settle in our sin. We settle for whatever the world tells us is okay. We just, we quit pressing into God and we just start doing whatever it is everyone else is doing. And see, that's a problem. It's a big problem because what are we bringing people to? If there's no difference in the world and the church, then what do we have to offer? Nothing. And so we need to see that and understand that. 
that we're here today and many of us are in a place where sin has either enveloped us and we're in darkness, and, but we've kind of gotten used to it or the light of Christ that was shining so brightly, we've just kind of become conditioned to it and we've become conditioned to our sin. My prayer is today that the word of truth, his word would pierce our hearts and that we would begin to see clearly again, that we would begin to press into Jesus again. We begin to let him press on things in our life again and begin to remove things, beginning to humble us, beginning to break us for what breaks him, his heart. And they begin to use us in the ways that he wants us to be used. And as we look at this, if we're going to do that, it's going to be because we know God. It's going to be because we know Jesus. It's going to be because we have a relationship with him. And in this letter, as he writes this letter, you're going to see a commendation um, that he gives, and you're going to see rebuke that he gives. And, and I want you to see both of those. And I want you to see all that we can learn from, about Jesus from these, these few, these five, six scriptures, these five or six verses. I want you to see all that we can draw out of this. I'm just from these passages. Because see, here's God's heart. God's heart is to reveal himself to you. Think about this, from Genesis to Revelation is God's progressive revelation of who he is. And so God is revealing himself constantly through his word. And I believe he's revealing himself to us through this text. So let's look at it again. He tells us in verse 12 that he's the one who has a sharp double-edged sword. We know that that's the word. We know that that's the truth. And then he says, I know where you live. The first thing we draw out of this and we know about Jesus is that he's a personal God. He's not some far off deity that is just removed from us. He, he's personal. He, he's, he's, he's in our life. He's around. The Bible talks about him walking among the lampstands. We talked about this some and, and we looked at the church of Ephesus. He knows, he knows us. He knows who we are. He knows all about us because he's a personal God. He could have just, just created everything and then left, right? When sin happened, he could have said, heck with this and just deserted us. But he didn't do that. Why? Because he's a personal God who loves his creation. And so we see that, we know that, that he's a personal God. The second thing is this, it says where Satan has his throne. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. See, he knows the world we live in. See, the big problem is that the world has come in and changed the church rather than the church going into the world and changing the world. And so when we begin to see that and we can understand this, Jesus knows where we live. He understands the circumstances that we face. He knows the things that go on. This is not a surprise to him. People talk about the Bible being outdated. Go read the things that Jesus dealt with when he walked the earth. They're the same things we're dealing with today. That's why it still speaks to us today. Jesus dealt with the core problems that all of us have. There's not an issue that we have that the Bible doesn't deal with, that the Bible can't set us free from. And so what I want you to see in this is that Jesus knows the world we live in. He knows our surroundings. He knows the pressures that we face. He's not oblivious to it, but he is and wants to be very involved in our life. And it goes on and says, yet you remain faithful or you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas. Antipas was a, a, a man who, who we don't know anything else about except this. He says, he was my faithful witness who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. All we know about this man is that he was faithful to death. But this is what hit me when I read that the other day. What I realized is we know all we really need to know about him, about his faith in Christ. And, 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 and that's the legacy that he left. And so we see that Jesus knows who we are, 
Jesus knows where we are. And Jesus even knows the struggles that we have. He knows that they're in a place where they're being martyred, the place where they're being killed for their faith. He knows the struggles that they're facing. How many of us in here have struggles, but we try to work them out on our own. We try to figure them out. And yet God is there to say, I'll help you with this if you will turn it over to me, but we just hold it to ourselves. We just continue with it ourselves, putting it on our shoulders to carry when we're not meant to carry these things when we can't fix these things. You've heard me say this before. I'll say it till the day I die. If you could fix you, you would have done it a long time ago. But you can't fix you. And so the reality is we need God to fix us. We need God to, to love us. We need God to begin to mend what's broken, to begin to put the pieces together, to begin to create newness in our lives. And so we see this. We see that God is personal. We see that God knows the world we live in. He knows what we face and he knows the struggles that we have. We also know this from these verses, that God knows if we're faithful or unfaithful. God knows if we're faithful or unfaithful. He says, I know that you haven't renounced your faith. He says, even in the days, those difficult days, even in the difficult times, I know you haven't renounced your faith. See, he knows if we're faithful or if we're unfaithful. He knows if when we walk through the doors of the church, he knows uh, the condition of our heart, regardless of what we look like. He knows, he knows, listen, if we come to church so that we look good, so that it helps our business. He knows if we stick a Christian sticker on the back of our car so that people will think highly of us or that we can play the Christian game. He knows if, if we come to church and we put on a good face and yet we talk like, like a, a dog, we talk to our spouse like a dog behind closed doors. He knows all of these things. He knows if we come in here and we lift up our hands to worship him, but where were your hands last night? See, that's the question that he, we would ask and that's what he knows. He knows where and how the, we operate. He knows if we have been faithful or if we have been unfaithful. Today, we need to check our hearts, folks, and ask this question. Am I faithful to God? Am I living in faith? Has the world come in and corrupted my relationship with Christ? Am I influencing people or are the, is the world influencing me? And the way we know if a relationship needs to end, first of all, if you're in a dating relationship with an unbeliever, you need to end that now. But any other relationship, this is how we know when it needs to end. It needs to end when you quit influencing them towards Jesus and they start influencing you away from Jesus. That's when it needs to stop. This is how we know when we need to give up something, a hobby, um, something that we do, maybe even a job and do something different. When it begins to pull us away from Christ rather than us being able to pull that thing and those people involved with it towards Christ. It needs to go. Well, it's my job. Well, you know what? There's things that are way more important than your job. It's eternity. It's people's eternity. And we need to realize that. We need to understand that. The other thing that we look at and we see, if you look at verses 14 through 16, I want to read them again. It says, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You have people there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food, sacrificed to idols, and by committing sexual immorality. I wanna take a second and tell you who Balaam, Balaam was a prophet in the Old Testament. If you wanna read about him, you can go to Numbers 24 and 25. And Balaam was a prophet that the king, a king by the name of Balak went and called and he called Balaam to come and he wanted him to prophesy um, against Israel. He wanted to give him some good news that he was gonna be able to defeat the Israelites. But he said, I can only tell what God tells me. I can only speak what God speaks to me. 
And so he, he continually prophesies these negative things to Balak about um, his defeat. And, and Balak gets angry. And we know the end of the result was that Balaam wouldn't prophesy against the Israelites. But what he did do was he said, listen, there's a weakness in these Israelites. If you'll take some of your Moabite women and you'll put them in front of the Israelites, they'll become a stumbling block to Israel. And what's gonna happen is they'll begin to have sex with your women and then they're gonna begin to worship their gods. And so that's what Balaam did. That's why they bring this out is because this is the, the whole point of what they're dealing with. It's someone who's come in and is putting the same stumbling block in, in their way. So that's what that means. Verse 15, likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. It's the same thing. It may be two different groups. People debate that. But what we do know is both of them were, were causing the same problem, sexual immorality and idol worship. He says, repent therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. So in other words, if you don't repent, I'm gonna come and I'm gonna bring judgment with the word. And so I want you to get this, I want you to see this, I want you to understand this, that not only do we know that Jesus is personal, not only do we know that he knows the world we live in, not only do we know that he knows our struggles and the issues we face, not only do we know that he knows if we're faithful or unfaithful, we also know now that we've read this part that he takes sin seriously. He takes sin seriously. And see, this is not popular to talk about in churches. You don't typically grow big churches by talking about sin and the seriousness of sin. But see, here's the problem. The world's come in and watered down our message. If the darkness of sin does not exist, then the light of Christ can't shine brightly. What we need to see is that we've all fallen short. We've all sinned. I've sinned. I stand before you, a flawed man, a man with issues, a man with problems, a man with my own idolatry issues, struggles that I have. And it's not that I have, 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 have attained everything that God wants for me. The difference is, and the thing that I know that's different from, for us and for an unbeliever is this, that we know who to go to when we struggle. We have access to the one who can help us overcome. And the reality is we need to realize that Jesus and, and that God takes sin seriously. We take it very, very lightly now. It's something we don't talk about. And the reason we don't talk about it is because the world's come in and told us it's not that big of a deal. We just do what everybody else is doing. We no longer, we no longer are, are, are people who strive for holiness, that strive for God, that pursue Jesus. We're people that just come in and go through the motions. And see, we don't pursue truth so that we will be saved. We pursue truth because we are saved. We pursue truth because there's someone in us that's greater than everything else in the world. And because we, we, we are a people who, who love God and love him. It, it gets on my nerves when I come to church and, and because, I mean, I have to come, right, to church. And, and I come in and then we're not excited about worship. We're not excited about God. We could really care less. I mean, it's kind of one of those things like, I wish the music would get over so that he could get up there and talk for 45 minutes. I hope it's only 45 minutes. Good Lord, he talks for more than 45 minutes. I gotta go. And here's the thing I want you to see. Is, is, it gets on my nerves when we come in. We're not excited. Do we really understand what Jesus did? Here's a better question. Do we really believe what we say we believe? Do we really believe what we say we believe? Do we really care? Does Jesus have our heart? 
I'm not saying do you never doubt, but I'm saying is there something in you that says I want him, no matter what the cost, no matter what it, it costs me, I want him. See, here's the, here's the truth of the matter. Every one of us in here, we'll talk about this a little bit in a second, but every one of us in here worships something. What are you worshiping? See, Jesus takes that very seriously. He takes our sin very seriously. We also know from this that he takes our purity very seriously. He wants them to be purified. He's calling them to repentance. He's saying these are some things that aren't right. And see, here's the reality. The church, man, the church is his bride. He calls us to be a pure bride. He calls us not to, 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 to soil ourselves, to, to pollute ourselves, to, to come into this place where we're just doing everything that the world's doing. He wants us to be set apart. But the world has come in and told us, ah, it's exactly what was happening to the church of Pergamum. These people had come in and said, it's not a big deal. It's okay. Just do what you want to do. We're free. We've got grace. We've got grace. And yet, see, here's the thing we need to understand and the thing we need to realize, folks, this is steps on my toes too, that grace is not a crutch for us to limp through life on. Grace is the power of God to lead us to godliness. Grace is the power of Jesus to set us free. And see, so we don't come in and say these things. I don't come in here and say these things to, 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 to try to step on toes. I don't come in and say these things to try to make people leave. I don't come in and say these things to hurt feelings. I say these things because we love you. We care. We actually do care. Believe it or not, we do care. And we love you even if you don't love us back. Because that's what God has called us into. Even on days when we, it's, it's almost like, like with my kids, there's some days I don't like them, but I always love them. There's some days when I get wounded, but I still love. There's some days they have to talk me down off of the roof, almost literally. But I still love, still care. This is why we do this. It's so funny to see people who come into ministry. Like they come in and in the first few weeks, they're just like, it's, it's the greatest thing ever. And then, 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 then they get the reality and the picture of how messy it is. How messy, because it's not like um, you come in and it's like um, all neat and rows and columns, okay? It, it's messy. See, you can have no mess, you just can't have people because we're all messy. And so when you are really doing ministry and you're really ministering to people, you're involved in a lot of mess because we've all got it. The only one who can clean it up is Jesus. But, but we have this mess. It's not like somebody comes in and paints this little perfect painting with all this order and all these, you know, it's like you gave a four-year-old a paintbrush and a bucket of paint and they just went all over it. That's what, that's what it's like. And so you come in and you, you, you deal with the mess. And the thing that I can tell you is that it hurts. It breaks your heart when you see people, watch people make decisions that are ruining their lives. It hurts when you watch people who, who think that, that, that living together is no big deal. It doesn't hurt anything. When we love each other and we're not having sex and I'm the tooth fairy. <laughs> they sleep in a different room. <laughs> Because the reality of it is, he wants a pure bride. 
The good news is that even if we have made ourselves impure, God still creates us new. He gives us and makes us a new creation. That's the good news of the gospel. And so he wants us to be a pure church. He takes purity seriously. Also out of verse 16, we see this, that he takes obedience seriously. He calls us to be obedient. He calls us to repent. That's the great news of God. He calls us to repentance, that we can turn back to him. So he didn't have to let us do that. He could have let us walk away. He could have just said to hell with them, literally. But he didn't. He said, you can turn around and you can have life. And he wants to give us this abundant life. And see, here's the thing. When we see that some of this is out of line, when you hear these things that I've talked about it and it pricks your heart, it pricks your conscience, and then there's something there. There's something out of kilter. When these things don't line up with God's word, then a couple of things have happened. When these things don't line up, a couple of things have happened. And that is this, that we have compromised God's word and our worship. We've compromised his word and his worship. I talked a lot about compromise last week. I'm not going to talk about um, how we compromise. But today, I want you to just see that when we get out of line with God's word, when we get out of line with where God's leading um, would take us, it's because we've gotten out of line with his word and we've compromised our worship. We've compromised the truth. But see, God takes truth very seriously. We see in this that he takes it very seriously. We know this, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the truth, he speaks the truth, he points us to the truth, he is the truth. If Jesus is the truth, then we should take truth very seriously. Very important. And we need to understand that. But see, we've watered down this message of, of hope and grace. We've watered down, see, grace is not seen. If we, never, if we never see sin, then how do we ever know how great grace is? Have we lost our saltiness? As the big C church, not just this church, the whole church, have we lost our saltiness? Are we just a pile of white dust that looks like salt but has no ability to change anything? Do we have a form of salt, but we have no power? Does the church have a form of godliness but deny the power of God? Is God still changing hearts and is he still saving people? If we preach the message, he will. But we can't be so enthralled with wanting to grow big churches that we're unwilling to tell the truth. We can't be so enthralled with growing big churches that we're unwilling to love the unlovable. We can't be so enthralled with growing big churches and trying to make sure the offering doesn't drop that we're not willing to lovingly tell people the truth and to lovingly lead them out of darkness. That's what the Bible teaches. It's to lovingly lead people out of darkness. I hope you can hear my heart this morning. It's not to condemn, it's not to point fingers, it's to hopefully be a part of leading you into the light of Christ if you found yourself in darkness. It's because we care, not because we don't care. And I want you to see that. So we know that he's personal God. We know that he knows the world we live in. We know that he knows the struggles we face. We know that he, he knows if we're faithful or unfaithful. We know that he takes sin seriously. We know that he takes purity seriously. And we know that he takes obedience seriously. All that from these five or six verses of scripture. And we see it and we know it. The last thing I would tell you is about the worship. He takes worship seriously. He takes it seriously. And see, here's the thing. We think that worship is coming in for a few minutes and singing a few songs. That's a part of worship. That's worshiping through music. That's worshiping through song. Yeah, but that's not 
the whole of worship. See, worship is whatever we've given our heart to, whatever has our devotion. That's what we worship. See, even atheists worship. They worship something or someone. Everybody worships something or someone. Question today is who or what do you worship? Is it Christ or is it something else? Does Jesus have your heart? We've lost in, this, in the church, in the church, we have lost the, 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 the we have lost the, the reverence of God. God's no longer revered. God's no longer thought of in that way. And here's the thing, some people would walk in here and say that this whole church is irreverent. They'd come in and say, well, they got drums, they're irreverent. They got guitars, they're irreverent. They got jeans, they're irreverent. They got shorts, they're irreverent. They got flip-flops, they're irreverent. They got tattoos, they're irreverent. They got earrings, boys, they're irreverent. But see, this is my belief. I, I don't believe that reverence is determined by what you look like on the outside. I believe reverence is determined by the condition of your heart. See, in too many times, in too many places, the church has made our preferences the reverence that we should show. But this is what I've come to learn, I've come to see, I've come to understand. That Listen, listen, listen. You can be as irreverent as anybody in a suit and tie with a communion wafer in your hand. You can be just as irreverent as anybody if you, even though you look like you're the, you just walked out of the Christian bookstore, right? You, you can, and then listen, listen, we got to be careful too, because we can walk in and our heart can, can, can match our dress, right? Because we won't be in the top 10 best dressed churches in the United States, Right? But, but we gotta be careful because we can be just as irreverent. We can come in and have no, no uh, reverence for God. The condition of our heart is, is such that, that there's, not, there's, there's no awe of God. We no longer see him in this grand way, this grand view that we've lost sight of who he is. And so we see that when we get out of line, that, that, that it's because we've compromised the word and we've compromised the worship. See, when we begin to compromise the word, we begin to compromise the very one thing that has the ability to set us free. We compromise our worship, we begin to be led down a path we don't want to go down. And that is Satan's ploy. That is Satan's goal, is to entice us to sin and slowly move us away from truth. Look at the course of our country, and you can see that. Let's move, let's move slowly away from truth and be enticed to sin. We see that from the very beginning in the, in the Genesis, in the garden, that that's how it works. As you look at it though, see, see here's the thing. When we look at this, Jesus gives a commendation 
He says, you've done this, you've done well, you've held on to my name, this personal faith of yours, you didn't let go of my name, but you're being tolerant of things that, that the world's brought in that aren't right, that aren't good, that aren't pleasing to me. Deal with those things. And then he says in verse 17, this, the sentence that, that is in every one of the letters, he says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. In other words, open your hearts, receive his word, do what the word says. My prayer is that today we would have an ear to hear. I want to tell you this because I think it's important. I think it's good for you to hear. When, when I got, the day I got saved, there was a man who came in and he began to preach against everything I was doing. I was in this, on a retreat and I was sitting there and he was preaching and I was getting angry. He started out this sermon this way. I've dipped this whole room full of Copenhagen. It's like, where is this going? And then he started hitting every single sin in my life. And I started getting mad and I started getting angry and, and I was either gonna get up and fight him or I was gonna leave. And about the time I was ready to get out of my seat, I heard God say this to me. Why don't you shut up and listen to what he's saying? And in that moment, see God talks to me that way because I'm stubborn. In that moment, I realized all I have to do is what Jesus says, repent and turn around to him and God was there to meet me. See, in all my running, in all my blaspheming him, in all of my making fun of other Christians, in all of my doubt, in all of my, my, my uh, cynicism, he never left. He was always there. He was always trying to draw me close. And you need to see that today. Maybe you find yourself in that darkness, but you need to understand the light is there. The light is there. Will you turn to him? I hope you have an ear to hear what the Spirit's saying today. And then he says this, to him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to him who receives it. Now, what does that mean? Because here's the promise. Like what if somebody made a promise, but you had no clue what they promised, right? Isn't that kind of how that is when you first read it? It's like, Manna that's hidden, a stone, a new name, oh joy, right? Because it's like, what, what is he even talking about? Well, I hope maybe we can clear that up a little bit. It says, to him who overcomes, I'll give some of the hidden manna. If you think about the manna, you think back to Exodus. You think about the Israelites in the desert. You think about their journey. You think about um, the manna that God gave from heaven. It was like bread, um, bread like flakes that came down from heaven. And he fed the Israelites this um, for uh, the time that they were in the desert. Yeah, this was one of the ways that he fed them. And they took some of that. His command was to take some and put it in the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark was a box that was a very nice box that was symbolic of the presence of God. And so they set that down into this box and it was hidden in the Ark. And so when he talks about the hidden manna, he's referring to that, but it goes way beyond that. See, this is a, a, a current um, promise of satisfaction but it's also a future promise of a greater satisfaction, of a greater knowing of Jesus. And let me show you why. In John chapter six, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, it should be on the screen. In verse 30 of John chapter six, he says, so they asked him, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? And these are the religious people asking Jesus to do another miracle. He's, they say, our forefathers ate the manna, so there's the manna in the desert. 
As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. What Jesus is saying in this letter to the church in Pergamum is that if you will come to me, if you will repent and turn around and come to me, then I will give you a satisfaction that you can't find anywhere else. Jesus is telling them in John six that I am the bread of life that came from heaven. I'm greater than the manna, the physical feeding of God. I satisfy you at the deepest part of your being at the deepest part of your soul. I satisfy your deepest longings. If you'll just turn to me and come to me and feast with me and feast on me and enjoy what I offer you in this relationship with me. And so he's saying that I am the manna. If you will repent and if you hold to your faith. See, we, we stay faithful, not, not so that we'll be saved, but because we are saved. We stay faithful because of our faith. And so he tells them this. He gives them, he says, I'll give you the manna. And he'll also give you a white stone with a new name. See, the new name represents something new, obviously. But it's something that the Bible says is very personal. He says it's known only to him who receives it. Only to him who receives it. So it's something personal between Jesus and the person. And so what he's telling us in that with this new name is that there's gonna be an intimate personal relationship greater than anything you've ever known that's gonna exist for eternity. And he says it's even gonna be permanent because it's written in stone, that it can never be erased, it can never be done away with. For eternity, that name is written on us. It's a sign of a new creation. It's a sign of a new person. It's a sign of forgiveness. It's a sign of redemption. It's a sign of, of purity. Uh, it's a white stone. It's a sign of purity. It's a sign of all these things that are gifts from Jesus that we only receive, that we just receive. He says, I'll give him a white stone with a new name written on it. The stone, the white stone, the last thing that we'll talk about today, the white stone, um, they debate what it means. As far as from what I've studied and what I've seen, uh, it, it represents a basically like a token, like a ticket that people would use to get into these uh, events such as feasts and the games and different things like that. And so sometimes they would be issued these tokens that wherever they took this, this white stone with their name on it, they could take it and they could get into the feast. They could get in um, to places that other people couldn't go. It was a prestigious type thing that when you were given one, you could get in. And so I want you to see what Jesus is saying is, I, basically, I'm the way for you to get in. And he's not saying, here's your ticket to heaven. What he's saying is, for, for eternity, after you die, he's saying, here's your ticket to the feast now. Here's your opportunity to know me now. Here's your opportunity to feast now, not to wait on the feast. And so that's what he's offering, is, is one, for us to be satisfied at the deepest part of our being because we've turned to him. Two, is for us to be given a new life, a new name, a new creation in our, our being, and three is to be given our, our, our access to him. That's why the Bible says we can come boldly before the throne of grace, because he's given us access. How does that access come? It comes by faith. That's the only way it comes. We can't do anything to earn it. We can't do anything 
to make ourselves worthy. It comes by faith. It comes by believing. And here's the thing I know today, I know this, that there are people here today who've never said yes to a relationship with Jesus. I want you to see today that offer. I'm not talking about church attendance. Or he said that. Listen, I'm not talking about uh, Sunday school attendance. I'm not talking about connect group attendance or how much you serve. We've seen people get saved in blue shirts more than times than I can count. Because we can go through the motions but not know him. Today, my plea with you is would you say yes to this relationship that he offers you? I'm not a perfect communicator. There's a lot that I feel like gets lost in translation from my heart to my mouth. But I hope that the spirit of God is speaking to you today. And I hope that he would draw you close. If you don't know him, that you would say yes to him today. And if the Lord's speaking to your heart right now and you say, I have ears to hear and I've never heard before, but I know right now the Lord's drawing me to him. And you would say yes to him. Today's the day of salvation, right? For you to say yes to his invitation. That's what I'm gonna ask you to do. I'm gonna ask you right now where you are, stick up your hand, just lift it up real high so we can celebrate with you. That we can celebrate with you, that you say yes to a relationship with Christ. So I can tell you this is bigger than hurt feelings. This is eternal. Amen. Today's the day. All right. Well, listen, we talked about some heavy things and we talked about a lot of stuff. But maybe today you need prayer for something. Maybe there's a struggle in your life and Jesus knows, but maybe, maybe you need prayer. It doesn't mean you gotta go share your deepest, darkest secrets, but it does mean there are people here today who would love to pray with you to let you know you're not alone to let you know you're not the only one who's ever had this struggle. To let you know that there is hope in Christ. And maybe today it's, it's just something you've been battling. Maybe it's something that, that you just, it's just worrying you. It's just on your mind. Would you let somebody walk with you through this? I don't know what it is. It might be an insecurity that you have. Whatever it is, listen, can we pray with you today? just a second, I'm gonna pray and close out the service and you can see some of our prayer people, they're gonna start walking down here to these double doors on my right. When I'm praying, I'm gonna give you the opportunity to get up and to go for prayer. And then just let them pray with you, let them minister to you. They love Jesus, they, they love you. Many that, that they don't even know. So I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna ask you to get up and go. While I'm praying, you move as the Lord's leading. Listen, this whole series is about listening to God and doing what he says. Why don't we practice that now? Let's pray. God, thank you so much 
for your love and your grace and the power that is in the name of Jesus. God, we fall so short, but your hand is so long. You reach down and grab us even when we're in our sin. You pick us up and you clean us off and you set us on the rock that is yourself that cannot be shaken and cannot be moved. And I pray today that it would be a day for some that both feet are planted firmly on you. Those who are shaken, those who are in a struggle, that let them see that the, the battle is yours and that the victory is won. And it is won through Jesus. Lord, give us courage to step as you tell us to step. God, for the person here who today, they feel like they can't take another step, I pray you would strengthen them. God, I pray your love would surround them. And that even in the midst of circumstances that are difficult, they would have joy. Even if it's just in the deepest part of their being. Lord, give them joy. Lord, let us walk out of this place unashamed of your name and willing to proclaim it to those around us. Let us live it. Let us show it. Let us be different, God. Let us be full of love, full of compassion, full of generosity, full of kindness and peace, full of patience. That work in my heart, work in our heart. We surrender to you today in Jesus' name. Amen.